We're going to be looking uh, just at verses 1 through 9 this morning. So if you would, follow along with me as I read to us from the Word of God. From Leviticus chapter 24, verse 1 and following. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before Yahweh regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before Yahweh regularly. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before Yahweh. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to Yahweh. Every Sabbath day, Aaron shall arrange it before Yahweh regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of Yahweh's food offerings, a perpetual due. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have always uh, desired to reveal yourself and instruct your people through your word. And pray that you would continue to do that. And Holy Spirit, you would guide our hearts, you would guide our thoughts, to give us understanding uh, into your purposes, your desires, and your grace to us. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. So, maybe, uh, maybe like me, you hear some of these passages in Leviticus and you're thinking, man, what in the world is in a passage like this. I mean, it sounds like we're reading like better homes and gardens for deities to how they're going to decorate their, their temples, their, their houses. Um, and so, uh, what I want us to do is to, in order to, to understand what God has for it, it's important for us to understand the context, to dig in and understand, all right, what... Why is this? What's the, the point? What's the purpose? Is there symbolism here? What is God trying to communicate and teach to his people? It's not just decorations. It's not just furniture. God's revealing something about him and he's revealing something about us. So that's what we want to uh, look, look into and look at uh, today. Uh, so first, like just thinking about this context. Remember what we've talked about. God's redemption of his people from Egypt. He saved them from uh, oppression and slavery in Egypt in order to save them to a relationship with himself. What did that relationship with him look like? It looked like God dwelling, living in the midst of his people. How was he going to live in their midst? In the tabernacle. So remember, from the, the understanding of what's going on, the tabernacle is viewed and seen as God's house, his palace. In this tent, as they're traveling through the wilderness, and this is where he lives among his people. He's moved into the neighborhood, and they're living all around him. Now, think about it. You may, they may have heard, oh, God is dwelling in our midst. He's living there. I see the tent. I see the, the tabernacle that's there. But I don't see him. How do I know he's home? Uh, 
on my street growing up, a lot of people tended to have their living rooms and they lived in the fronts of their house. And so when you're driving down the street, you would see, especially at night when you're coming over, there's lights on. Our house was a little different. Um, our, we had a living room in front, but we never went into it. The doors were always shut. The curtains were drawn tight. We lived in the back of the house the most of the time. There was a den back there and there was a kitchen. Uh, and uh, so a lot of times when my friends would come over, especially at night, the first thing that they would say when they pulled up and I came outside, they were like, I didn't, I, I didn't know if anybody was even home. Your house looked deserted. Everybody else on the street looks like they are alive and well. But when I pull up in front of your house, it looks like nobody is ever here. Why? Because the lights are always out. When lights are on, it communicates, oh, somebody's there. Think about Halloween. How do you know whose door to go knocking on? The light is on. Especially if you go up and you peek into a house whose light is on and you can see inside. What if you saw a table set with food on it? Somebody actually lives here. Somebody is home. It's not empty. Let's... Uh, the, one of the things to, to think about and see what God is communicating to his people, first off with, with this, that the, the description that we're getting of lamps and a table is communicating to the people, somebody's here. This is God's home. He lives and is present with you. Notice that uh, one of the things that, that Aaron is supposed to do the, the, the priests are supposed to do with these, this lamp is to continue to, uh, to, to keep it lit. It tells us in, uh, in verse uh, 3, Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before Yahweh regularly. So uh, every night, Aaron's going in there and they're making sure this lamp is, is lit up. Um, show... This is kind of a, a, an example of what we think this lamp looked like. It was very big. It was made of pure gold. And it had these seven uh, little places where olive oil was in it. And it was burning for light in the, uh, in the tabernacle. Now, if, can you go back to the picture of the, of the tabernacle? Is that one on there? So, I don't know if you can see this very well. But notice inside... Uh, the inside of the tabernacle would have been decorated. There would have been gold on the walls. So think about it at night. You have this giant lamp inside there that all these olive oil lamps are burning. Everybody else is in their tents, but they're not burning nowhere near this amount of olive oil. So the brightest place in the center of the neighborhood is God's house. Light is shining out of the front. As you're walking by, you're aware he's home. He's present. He's with us. As you walk by, if the curtains are open, you can see in. You couldn't see into the Holy of Holies back in the back where God's throne room was. But you could see into his front of his house. We could call it the living room if we want. And see that the light is on. It's shining. This lamp is here. A table is set. Bread is at the table. But notice, God's not there eating it. They're not feeding God with this bread. Uh, God is 
and his special presence is in the back. And later we will see that at the end of the uh, of the passage, that the ones who actually ultimately eat the bread are Aaron and his sons. It tells us in verse nine. Um, uh, But God's trying to communicate to his people this picture of this is my home and you might not always see me. But this lamp is present. Light is shining. There's a table set to communicate. I'm here. I'm with you. But that's not that's not all. Remember, as we talked about the tabernacle before. The way that it was situated is the opening, the open door was facing towards the east. So when you entered in, you're going west. Remember, we talked about the, the picture of the tabernacle was, was pointing the people back to Eden, where, they, where Adam and Eve dwelt with God initially. When Adam and Eve, due to their sin, were cast out of the Garden of Eden, they were sent out to the east. So the movement into the tabernacle, you're going west. You're going back to Eden. You're going back to God's special dwelling place in His presence. Well, guess what was in the Garden of Eden that's mentioned and focused on in uh, Genesis 1 and 2 is this tree, the tree of life. Notice this, this lamp stand looks like a tree reminding and pointing the people back to where humanity was created, to where we dwelled in God's special presence, interacting with him. And there we found life. What's interesting throughout the scriptures, this, the picture of, of light especially it's associated with God, it's connected to His presence. Um, in fact, in Numbers chapter 6, uh, verses 22 to 27, there's a blessing that God gives Aaron to pronounce over the people. And listen to the language that he talks about. The Lord, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's this, this imagery throughout Scripture that light is uh, connected to God shining his special presence, his blessing, his favor, his being with the people. Um, uh, so thinking about the, the, the lamp symbolizing that, but then there's the, the bread. Now, if you look, at, we have a picture of the uh, of the bread table. So think about this: the way the way that it was set up is there were. Uh, is, it even tells us in verses five and following that they're to pile up two piles of six loaves of bread each. So six plus six is, is twelve. They're not little little loaves. Uh, two afas, two tenths of an afa of flour, um, ends up being about five pounds when it's baked. We labored hard in this, the kitchen last night. Um, so this would have been unleavened bread that they piled up on a table that would have been smaller than this. There would have been two piles of six of these things stacked up. Now remember, we've heard of uh, that, those numbers before. Twelve. There's twelve tribes of Israel. Remember when Aaron was representing the people, part of the, the, the vestments that he wore had... 12 jewels. He had uh, two stones that he wore that had the six and six of the names of the 12 tribes inscribed on it. This is a a picture to the people of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
the people of God. And notice, notice where, how it's set up in this, in this tabernacle. If you can go back to that first picture. Notice on, on the south side, the, the lamp would have been set up. So we have our lamp. Let's just pretend this is the south over here. Now, imagine a tree. 75 pounds worth of gold, probably. And then here's the table with the, the 12 loaves of bread stacked up. Now, the instructions for how it was made and in other places, what we, we hear is that when Aaron's arranging it, he's to arrange the lights and he's to make sure that the light from the lamp is shining forward in front of it. Well, look at the tabernacle. If it's shining forward and in front of it, where is the light from the lamp shining? It's shining onto the 12 loaves of bread that are sitting on the table. What God is seeking to uh, communicate and show is that uh, th- this is a picture of His presence, of His blessing, of His goodness shining forth onto His people. His people being brought into His presence. Notice even in this passage, it, it communicates that. Notice Aaron is the one who's to arrange the lights. But notice in verse 1 who God speaks to first. He speaks to Moses. And in verse 5, it says, uh, you take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. That's singular. It's talking about Moses. So the first person who brings the loaves into the tabernacle is Moses. It is Moses who brings the people of God, the 12 tribes of Israel, into God's presence. He is the one that they now experience the blessing of, of God, of dwelling in His presence and of his, the light of His presence shining upon them. This is a recreation. This is a rehearsing uh, of Exodus occurring. And after this, Moses does it no longer. Aaron and the priests maintain this happening. Uh, it's a picture to God of, of the redemption and the relationship. It even talks about it that way. In verse 8, it is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. This bread of the presence, this light shining on it, this is to communicate to the people the significance and the intimacy, truth about the relationship that they have with God. But there's more than that. Remember in the context we've, we've looked at here. Last week in chapter 23, uh, we were looking at these celebrations that God gives His people. Uh, the, the different uh, feasts and uh, things that they celebrated throughout the year. I don't know if you, were, if you remember this from last week, but in, verses, in verse 3, in talking about these feasts and celebrations, God starts by explaining and talking about the Sabbath, this day of rest and worship where God's people were to gather before Him. And as it, God goes through and He explains the rest of the, the feast and the celebrations, Sabbath comes up again. And talking about even in the midst of those celebrations, there's to be special days of Sabbaths to celebrate Him. Whether it happened on the, the normal, the, on, the, uh, on the, the seventh day of the week, or sometimes they would happen in the middle of the week, depending on the festival. Then on the, the seventh month was a great month of festivals where uh, they, they celebrated uh, the, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and that long Feast of Booths. When we, but Sabbath keeps coming up. Rest, enjoyment, these holy convocations coming into the presence of God. 
Next, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be in chapter 25. Sabbath stuff comes up again. I'm talking about a Sabbath year, the seventh year, and the rest and renewal that the people experience on that year. It'll talk about the year of Jubilee, which is seven times seven every 49 years. The context that we're seeing here has something to do in drawing the people's attention to the Sabbath. Notice it comes up here in this passage. Notice when it is that Aaron's to replace the bread. Look in verse 8. Every Sabbath day, or Sabbath by Sabbath, Aaron shall arrange it before Yahweh regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. Notice what's happening. Moses initially set the bread in there. It sits there for a week. Then on the Sabbath day, Aaron comes in. He replaces the old bread with new, fresh bread. Every Sabbath day, into the presence of God. What's being communicated? If this is to symbolize God's people, then on the Sabbath day, in a special way, when you enter in, when you gather around me to worship me, to enjoy me with my people, that you are experiencing renewal. You are experiencing refreshing. It's not just that you are coming to worship me, but in the Sabbath, when we gather together, God is graciously serving, caring for, and loving His people. On the Sabbath, when you gather to worship as my people, the entire people of God will be refreshed and renewed, restored as they gather in the light of of God's presence shining upon him. Now, later Israel would get this very mixed up and confused. The Sabbath would begin to be about what they could or couldn't do. And they would miss this fact that Jesus would actually teach later on. The Sabbath, uh, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man, for refreshing, for renewal in the presence of God as you gather with Him and His people. Well, these sound like good little tidbits of information that may help us on our next round of Bible trivial pursuit. What does it matter for you and me today. Uh, this Friday, we went down to uh, Edenton to uh, look at this uh, 300th anniversary uh, exhibit on Blackbeard uh, down in Edenton. And while we were there, uh, uh, Natalie Harrison, she attends here, uh, was she works at the, the visitor center there. She took us to, to have a tour of the Iredell house that's there in Edenton, this old, old home. It's interesting, the things that we went around and, and saw. There was this building out in the back, disconnected from the house, that was the kitchen where they did all their cooking and, and everything associated with that. There were fires in there for, for baking. And another, another place, there was another building disconnected from the house, that where they, they kept their, their produce and their milk and things that they wanted to, to remain fresh. In, a, in another building as well, disconnected from the house, was this 
room, you open it up, and there's this long bench in the back. There's three holes in the bench. One big hole, one medium-sized hole, and one little bitty hole. The bathroom. Now, those could be interesting tidbits of information. We think, well, that's just the way they did those things then. That doesn't have anything to do with us now. We have those things in our house. There's some disconnection. Things aren't the way they used to be. But we see there's, there's some aspects where although things have improved, we still are very much connected to the people who lived in the Iredale house. We still need kitchens. We still need somewhere to keep our food cool. And we definitely still need to use the bathroom. Things are improved, but they still apply. Notice, things have greatly changed. We realize that. We've been seeing this throughout Leviticus. Things have changed. Why? Leviticus was pointing us to Jesus. The fulfillment. Remember, this is... How the the New Testament describes Jesus, how John, one of Jesus' spokesmen, described him, that Jesus is God tabernacling with us, dwelling with us, coming in our midst. He's no longer in a, a house, but in a body, coming to be present with his people. Uh, the, the sacrificial system has been done away with, Why? Because His blood sufficiently provides for all that those things were pointing to. It's come to an end. More than that, in uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 6, as Paul is describing the work of Jesus and what He he is doing and what He's accomplishing, uh, he he talks about this, about our being saved and redeemed by Christ. In verse 6, he says, And He raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we're no longer on the outside looking at this this house through the work of Jesus. You are actually now raised up with God. You're seated with Him. Where Jesus is seated. In the very presence of God. The work of Jesus has done such a thing that... Our connection with God is better than it was for the people of Israel. We're connected and united to Him in a way that is uh, uh, more was accomplished than what they were picturing and seeing with this uh, tabernacle. Remember, the only person who could ever venture right into the throne room of God was the high priest. But the good news of Jesus says we seat, we're seated with him in his presence where he is in the very throne room of God through the work that Jesus has accomplished. Um, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter four in verse six. Paul, again, talking about what Jesus has done and what God is doing through Jesus says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the light of the world, the light of God has shined in such a way into our hearts 
revealing God's glory and His character to us, that we can come to embrace Him through faith and experience this restored and renewed relationship with Him. Jesus has fulfilled a lot of this stuff. But is it still true? Is there still a need? Is there still something that the people of God experience in the, on the Sabbath day? Remember, we don't worship on Saturdays anymore. We worship on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday, the first day of the week. And we celebrate and rejoice in all that God is doing as we gather into his presence. In fact, the New Testament is consistent to remind God's people in Hebrews explicitly. Do not neglect meeting together. Throughout Acts, the people of God regularly gather together on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, gathering to worship. So let's think about the, the Sabbath and the old, the old Covenant and the Old Testament. The offer was there that in a special way on the Sabbath, you're gathering to worship together as God's people in His presence and you're experiencing renewal. As you look backwards to Eden... The temple, the tabernacle, to what it was like when the people dwelled with God. Um, as you're, you're looking forward, when the people traveling in the wilderness would actually be in the promised land that God had promised. And they're looking forward to the day when God would, would fulfill all of His promises and they would experience true rest. Not just from their traveling in the wilderness, but their rest from the effects of sin and God establishing His kingdom throughout the world. There, they gathered in a special way, hoping and trusting in their God. We do the very same thing. We still need that. We're looking back too. We're looking back at what Jesus has done for us. We're looking forward. We're looking forward to when He comes, when He renews and restores all things, when we are dwelling with Him on this earth, not separated and distant from Him. We still connect and are, and are present with God spiritually, but the intention is that this full, uh, holistic connection to where us as being humans are both body and soul, that we will be present with God fully on this world. So we're still waiting. We're in a wilderness period as we're longing and awaiting our true home to come. The Sabbath has the same significance, the same need for us that as we await the full renewal that Jesus has already secured for us, but we've not yet fully experienced, this Sabbath offer is still there for the people of God to come into His special presence on a Sunday. To enter into His presence, to experience refreshing and renewal, just like was pictured for the people of, of Israel. So how does that apply for us now? Well, let's, let's quickly just look at how it applied for the priests and the people in this, in this context. First, look at the priest. And we can see how we can make some current present day application. Notice one of the, the, the roles and, and responsibilities that the priest had was to keep God before the people. Remember, Aaron needed to continue to arrange the, the lamps so that it would, the, the light of God's presence would shine onto the people. He needed to be active, making sure he's faithfully carrying out the worship of God so that God is present and revealed correctly to his people. 
one of the responsibilities of the priest was to pray or to to teach the people from the word of God, to making sure they understood what it looks like to walk with this God, all that he has done for them. He's to, to keep God before the people to realize it's him we're supposed to worship. It's him we're supposed to follow. It's him that has delivered and saved us. But the other side of it is that the priest, the responsibility of the priest was to keep the people before God. Not just was he to arrange the bread so that it was in the, the, the path of light of the presence of God that was shining on him. But did you notice what else went with the bread there in verse uh, seven? You shall put pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to Yahweh. Remember, God's not eating this bread. They're not burning it up to him. The priests eat it later. But what's set on top of both of these piles is frankincense. Remember how the frankincense would have been used. Also here in the tabernacle, there is this altar of incense that they burn before the, uh, the, the veil, before the Holy of Holies. Incense, uh, and it's described here as a memorial portion to God. Remember, in speaking, it's not like God has forgotten uh, his covenant, but the, the, the burning of incense was a way to seek God, to call upon him. Uh, picturing prayer as it lifts up, we're seeking and asking God to work out his purposes, uh, his covenant promises in his people and to fulfill his purposes in us, that we would be blessed to be a blessing that his glory would spread. So the picture here is that Aaron and the priests need to make sure that they're fervently praying and keeping the people of God before God. As I've looked at this over the course of this week, uh, I mean, it struck me at other times here in the book of Leviticus, but how, think about this whole book is all about the worship of God and his people coming before him and how valuable and important and necessary this connection of God's people with him is for the fulfillment of their mission and their identity and the role that the priests have. The spiritual leaders of God's people have this responsibility to make sure God is present always before the people, communicated and taught well and exalted, and that they're lifted up in prayer. That's something like, specifically for me, being in this role, not as priest, but as pastor or elder over this church, that I need you, please pray, pray for me, that I would do this well. That when, when I teach the Scriptures when I arrange our worship service, when I interact and talk with you, that it would be God, the beauty and glory and presence of God through the person of Jesus that is, that is put forth here, that is placed before you and before me. That it's not about me, it's not about our church, but it's about Jesus being exalted and glorified. It's easy to begin to think, uh, we've talked about this before, to begin to, to, to think about uh, you liking me or uh, making sure that, that I'm, uh, I'm favored or celebrated. I don't want that. I need to repent of those things and the focus being on the light of God's presence shining on his people. But the other side is this is really hitting me this, this week of seeing the need for me more and more to be laboring on behalf of our congregation in prayer, 
in lifting you up before God. And so one effort of the way I'm trying to apply this, you'll be getting uh, some emails over the next couple of months. We're trying to break down our congregation into uh, a couple of uh, 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 either family units or, or individuals uh, each week. And I'm going to have an email sent out to you when you come up on the list to ask you for prayer requests so that you can send them to me so that I can be praying for you over the course of the week. That email will only come back to me. The stuff that's on there will be confidential. Please check your... Don't just ditch it and think that it's not important. Like one of the reasons that I'm wanting to send this out is because of this call in Scripture of the shepherds of God's people to be focused on making sure God's people are lifted up to Him in prayer so that I can serve you well in that way. But also here we see responsibilities of the people. Do you notice that in this passage as well? Notice how it starts off in verse 2. Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamps. Why? That a light may be kept burning regularly. And then when it gets down to the, the bread, notice where the bread comes from. Although the priests are making it, later it'll be a, a separate unit within the tribe of Levi who makes this bread. But notice where it's coming from. In verse 8, uh, Aaron shall arrange it before Yahweh regularly. It is from the people of Israel. Remember, all of these offerings that happen um, through the holy days, through the celebrations, through the, the sacrificial system, the people of Israel are bringing offerings to God. And a lot of that goes to providing for things like this, for the worship of God, material things to make sure that the worship of God is happening, that it's moving along well, and it's able to be accomplished. Without the olive oil, the lamp isn't burning. Without the flour and olive oil, the bread isn't baked. The worship of God suffers. And as the worship of God suffers, the identity of God's people, their connection with Him, their mission into the world suffers. You see, there's, there's a responsibility for God's people to, to respond to His grace and mercy by providing materially so that the worship of God can continue and that the care of God's people can happen. But... There's another side to it. There's an, the other responsibility of God's people is not just materially giving for uh, the worship of God, but there's a sense in which they're to give themselves. There's, there's to be a, a, a joyful expectation as they enter and gather into God's presence on the Sabbath. Notice what is being pictured before them that's happening in the, in the tabernacle that's happening in a special way on the Sabbath, that the entire people of God, as they gather in the presence of God, as He's shining the light of His favor and His mercy and His grace on them, they're being renewed. They're being restored. They're being refreshed. What's on offer on the Sabbath every day that we meet and gather in God's presence is this continued offer to gather in before God and to experience renewal in His grace. Renewal in the favor of Jesus. Do you ever... Do you think about this, the Sabbath in that way? 
Has, has church just become something that you do? That you need to get out of the way so that you can continue on with your weekend? This is a parentheses interruption and all the other stuff you have going on. And because you're, we're Christians, this is something that we need to do. Or you've maybe in your past, there's been uh, uh, baggage that's been built up because you've been taught in order to be a good Christian and for God to love you, you need to go to church. And if you're not going to church, then you are potentially forfeiting your salvation God's love and His favor of you. The Sabbath becomes more about duty. The stuff you're not allowed to do. Can you make this? Can you walk here? Can you buy here? Can you shop here? Instead of thinking back to what God is offering on the Sabbath day, the opportunity for Him to bless you as you come into His presence as you celebrate the mercy and grace that you've received in Jesus, in a special way, you enter into the presence of God with His people to be renewed and restored. The Sabbath, that's more where we're, we're going and the things that we're embracing and the grace that God's offering to us on the Sabbath to enter into rest, not just physically, but spiritually as we gather into God's presence. The Sabbath begins to move away from not being drudgery, not being duty, but being delight. Where's your heart in those things? In, in giving, reluctantly, is it seen as something you have to do? What about when we gather here? Regardless of how exciting our worship is, regardless of how well I preach regardless of whether your favorite song is done or you know the words. What is happening if we are a true church is that we are gathering in the presence of God. He is renewing and restoring us as we enter in with Him. What more could we want? One day a week, God says, I want you to take off everything, wipe out your calendar. Spend time with me. Spend time with my people because I love you and I want to renew you and restore you because that's what Jesus has done and is doing and what when you gather together, you're hoping for, you're looking to, and you're longing for. It's not just about furniture. It's not just about decoration. It's the good news of the gospel on offer to His people that we can enter into the very presence of God through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we, we love You. We thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. We thank You for uh, the fact that because of what Jesus has done, we can enter into Your presence. We pray that this morning You would continue to renew us, restore us through the Gospel and through Your work in our lives. In Christ's name, Amen.